1: Wednesday, November 30th, 2022, the 679th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends You can find the links to all of that, to the writing and to the merch site at linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, a couple of very attentive listeners have noticed that my voice sounds a little nasal and they're right. I have what you might call a head cold under normal circumstances, and it'll probably be gone in a day or two. But since we are now in a post-pandemic period, maybe I have long COVID, except I probably don't and everything is just fine. Then again, maybe I was too close to a recently boosted person and their booster just floated on over and poisoned me. Who's to say anymore? But hopefully none of that is too distracting. So earlier this week, I can't remember if it was Monday or if it was yesterday, I speculated that we might see a false flag event before the Georgia runoff next Tuesday to distract people from obvious election fraud that happens in Georgia just as it happens in Arizona and Pennsylvania and every other state in this country. If you have paid attention to election fraud over the last couple of years, you will know that it is not just a swing state problem and that it's not just a problem that benefits Democrats. It also benefits establishment Republicans. That's what the system is designed to do. The system is designed to protect the regime and put people in office who will advance the regime's agenda. Doesn't matter whether they have a little D next to their name or a little R next to their name, and with that in mind, I want to play this clip from War Room this morning, where John Fredericks was the guest talking about what might happen in the Georgia runoff on Tuesday, December sixth. Uh,
2: you're on the, uh, the the bus down in Georgia is uh if herschel walker wins this people have to understand the gravity of the situation you get a power sharing deal at 50 50 which is radically different than if you got uh 51 49. also if you get 50 50 who knows maybe you talk mansion and one of these guys in the flipping that don't want to get uh you know don't want to lose the 2024 race where do we stand with herschel walker well the other thing steven you nailed it people saying well it doesn't matter the democrats have control it matters a lot you're right, 50-50 power share, share big difference on the committees. And you mentioned Joe Manchin, even if he doesn't flip, if you're 50-50, you know, Manchin's up in 24, West Virginia, Trump got, what, 75% of the vote there. He's got nowhere to hide. At 51-49, he can have show votes, go with us 50 times. It doesn't matter because Harris breaks the tie, right? So it also makes Joe Manchin has to man up and give real votes in real time. So that's the other thing. And the third thing is, it's one less seat. Obviously, we have to win to get control in 24. But look, uh, going into Wednesday today, Herschel's behind my estimates by about 200,000 votes. The good news is, you know, we're out here on the bus store. All we're interested now is ballots. I'm in the ballot business. I got out of the voting business after November 8th. I'm out of the convincing business, the narrative business. I'm in I'm in the ballot business. I just want to put ballots in boxes. That's how they win. That's how we're going to win. Now, I want to be
1: clear that I don't think John Fredericks is a bad guy, and I don't necessarily think he's a stupid guy or anything. But that's pretty stupid. What he just said is pretty stupid. He's not in the vote business anymore. He's not in the convincing business, not in the narrative business. He's in the ballot business. And I've discussed this on the podcast a few times before. So if you're a regular listener, you'll probably already be familiar with some of what I'm about to say. But if you haven't heard me talk about this before, then you might have listened to what John Fredericks just said and thought, well, that makes a lot of sense. That's what I've heard a lot over the last three weeks since the midterms. I've heard about how the Democrats have this amazing Ballot harvesting operation, and that's where they get all their votes in. They find all their voters and they collect all of those ballots, those mail in ballots or whatever, and they make sure that their voters cast those ballots. What the Republicans need to do is get really good at the ballot harvesting operation. We're going to beat the Democrats through ballot harvesting. We're going to take their strategy and we're just going to do it better. That's what we've been told now for three weeks by Conservative Incorporated and the GOP establishment and elites, many of whom are consistently never Trump, almost all of whom are pushing Ron DeSantis to the fore. But that point of view is either totally ignorant Or it's dishonest to the point of obvious complicity with the regime. There is no way for Republicans to compete in that system. And it's not Republicans versus Democrats in a game of ballot harvesting. It's the regime versus not the regime in a system designed to ensure that regime candidates win no matter what. And here's the thing. The regime controls every element of the process of voting. So it starts with voter registries. They have these national organizations like ERIC, for instance. They have public-private partnerships with organizations like Rock the Vote or their subsidiary More Than a Vote. They have plenty of other organizations as well. Those organizations have direct access to the voter registry database in states all across the country, so they can just flood new voter registrations onto the state's voter registry. And we know that states are loath to actually clean up their voter registries. They know that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of ineligible and inactive voters on their voter registry, and they simply don't care. There are estimates that California might have 5 million excess voter registries. And that estimate was actually from a couple of years ago. It's possible that it is much worse than that. And that really matters in a place like California, where they send out mail-in ballots to everyone on the registry. So they control that part of the process. Then they control the distribution of those ballots particularly in states where there is mail-in voting or even really easy absentee voting that you'd have to sign up for. Even states like Pennsylvania, where you have to provide some sort of ID to be able to receive a mail-in ballot. They can actually accomplish that. So they've got the voter registries. They've got the distribution of the ballots. We know they go harvest those ballots. And that's where some of the confusion comes in because people imagine this system as normal and functioning in some sort of ideal way. They think that this system was designed to make it easier for people to exercise their right to vote, but that's not true. The system was designed to allow additional opportunities to manipulate, influence, and steal elections. So we can pretend that all of those votes, those mail-in ballots that are sent out, are all sent out to real people. And the parties have this really intricate ground game where they get out and they knock on doors and they get people's ballots or they convince people to put their ballots in the drop box. They convince them to vote for one party or the other. But that's not how it is. If they send 3,000 ballots to an empty lot, what kind of ground game is going to go knock on the doors that don't exist and retrieve those 3,000 ballots from an empty lot. Or they send 400 ballots to a 10-unit apartment building. And those ballots never arrive, obviously, because there are no people there. So the ballots get returned, and then they are supposed to be accounted for, run through the system. And people are supposed to make sure that those ballots don't get cast. But do people do that? No, of course they don't do that. So you end up with all these additional mail-in ballots just floating around out there. There's no race to the big pot of ballots so that you can collect them and harvest them before the other side can do it. That's not how the system works. And it's childish to pretend that it does work that way. But we're being told it works that way by Conservative Incorporated, by GOP establishment and elites, and by a lot of the media figures who we are told are on the right or on our team or are Trump supporters and America first. So the regime controls the registry, the distribution of ballots, and the harvesting of those ballots because they're the only ones who have access to to those ballots. They know where they're going. They know that they're not going to reach a real destination, and they know where they go after that. So, once you have all those ballots, well, then you go ahead and you cast those ballots, and the regime is also in control of counting those ballots. So, that's the entire process of voting. That is the entire life cycle of that ballot, completely and totally controlled by the regime. But it actually gets worse than that because the regime has people in place to certify the elections and to sign off on the legitimacy of those elections. And if lawsuits arise, well, the regime has Mark Elias and other attorneys out there to wage lawfare against counties, against boards of supervisors, against whoever might object to the ways that elections are run. Mark Elias right now has filed lawsuits. He has one right now in Arizona attempting to have the courts compel Cochise County to certify their fraudulent election. And we saw this entire process play out in 2020. It actually culminated with the regime certifying fraudulent electors from those states and certifying the illegitimate election of Joe Biden. At no place in that process is there an opportunity for the will of the people to win out over the regime. So why are we being told by people who are ostensibly on our side that all we need to do is improve our ballot harvesting efforts and then we can win elections? Well, the primary reason is because That construct assumes that there is just an improvement that can be made. And once that improvement is made, the system as it exists could function correctly. It assumes the votes are real. The ballots are real. It assumes the machines work when we know they don't. You can see it in Brazil. You can see it in our own elections if you just take the time to check. And I'm not trying to play good guy and bad guy here, but we should look at who is promoting this narrative and this agenda. Charlie Kirk has been one of the biggest proponents of this. A lot of conservative incorporated have been big proponents of this, saying we just need to outdo the Democrats at ballot harvesting. They pretend that we are still in a Democrat versus Republican paradigm rather than in the regime versus people that care about their vote paradigm, we have to break out of that. We have to understand that this is not Republican versus Democrat. This is only about being able to maintain the election fraud apparatus as it exists so that the regime can choose who sits in which offices around the country for the sole purpose of continuing to implement their agenda. Now, I'm not saying Charlie Kirk's a bad guy. I'm not saying Turning Point USA is a bad organization. I don't really care about that so much. But I do know that Charlie Kirk is or has been part of Salem Media. And I do know that Salem Media produced 2,000 Mules. Now, again, I'm not talking about Catherine Engelbrecht's work with True the Vote. I'm only talking about the movie 2,000 Mules. So... That movie came out and it featured a number of people from Salem Media. I think it was like Eric Metaxas and Larry Elder and Dennis Prager. And I believe that there was like one more of those guys featured in that documentary. And they were all very skeptical that the 2020 election was stolen. And they saw this new evidence and they thought, oh, well, maybe something is wrong. That looks pretty serious. And it turns out it is pretty serious. Illegal ballot harvesting operations are one way that elections are stolen. But now we are told that ballot harvesting is just something that we have to accept. It's just part of the system. And rather than pursue the fact that this is obvious election manipulation and election theft, and that the laws actually aren't being followed at any step of the process, We just give up on all of that, accept the process as it is, and commit to doing a better job at one key element of the election steal than the regime can do. But they won't even say that. They'll just say Republicans need to do a better job of that thing that Democrats are doing to steal elections. So it accepts the system. It accepts the harvesting. It tells us that we actually aren't working hard enough or smart enough. And it accepts the outcome of these elections as legitimate. Now, is John Fredericks intentionally helping to push that narrative? I don't know. It's entirely possible that he's talking to a bunch of people who have all accepted the same narrative without questioning it. And they just assume, well, if that's the game we need to play, then let's play it as hard as we can and see how things shake out. We really need to get this last Republican Senate seat for Herschel Walker. And again, obviously, I would rather Herschel Walker be in the Senate than Raphael Warnock. But we shouldn't be dishonest about what's happening here. And we shouldn't be fooled about what's happening here. It's entirely possible that good and relatively informed people are simply being fooled and that the group think around this issue has been pervasive to the point where everyone generally accepts it. But the result of all of this is that the election fraud apparatus remains in place. Now, a week or two before Glenn Youngkin's election in the fall of 2021, I said on this podcast that I thought we would see Glenn Youngkin win by a small margin, probably 51-49, just as we're going to see on Tuesday. Because what would that do? Well, it would convince Republicans who are skeptical about the security and integrity of their elections that actually Democrats can't just steal every election. You see that? Glenn Youngkin won because parents in Virginia got really upset about what Virginia schools were doing, how they were treating the children of Virginia, what they were exposing them to in terms of critical race theory and in terms of the gender agenda. Republicans in the establishment and in the media hammered hard about the woke stuff in Virginia schools. That was a huge narrative buildup Prior to Youngkin's election, and so when he won by this small margin, shifting the margin 12 points, if memory serves, in the Republican direction, that was a Joe Biden plus 10 state, we were told, in 2020. A year later, Youngkin wins by a couple points. Now, on that same night, they stole the election for Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey, but no one paid attention to that. That got completely ignored. And we were told that Republicans had gotten the job done in Virginia. The election fraud apparatus was just fine. Don't worry about the elections. This is the proof that our elections are secure, that our elections have integrity. Because Glenn Youngkin won. And if the elections weren't safe and secure, Glenn Youngkin couldn't have done that. Well, that is a total non sequitur. The way that Glenn Youngkin could have won In an election fraud system is by the regime simply allowing Glenn Youngkin to win, which only means they feel they have an adequate level of control over Glenn Youngkin. And there are other priorities being served by allowing Youngkin to win. The most important one of those priorities is that the Youngkin win convinces Republicans around the country who are skeptical about the elections that everything is just fine. In the lead up to all of that, John Fredericks was there on the ground in Virginia. He does this little bus tour and good on him. I'm glad that he's active. I'm glad he's out there. I'm glad he's reaching voters. He seems to be very much on our side. Again, this isn't about me trying to insult John Fredericks, but it was the same narrative there. You know what? There are ways that we can beat their system. Glenn Youngkin is proof of that. I imagine. I'm not sure. We'll see. Obviously, I don't know how this election's going to go. I'm only judging by trends. I'm only judging by what I've seen and thought and learned over the last couple of years. But I imagine that on Tuesday night, we will have a Herschel Walker win and we will hear a couple of different narratives. One of them is that Brian Kemp, the Republican governor of Georgia, has a very powerful organization there. He's got a great turnout operation. In fact, in this same episode of War Room, John Frederick said to Steve Bannon, Brian Kemp has a great turnout operation. That's why he beat Stacey Abrams by eight points. Except that's not why he beat Stacey Abrams by eight points. And it's an absurd notion that Brian Kemp could beat Stacey Abrams by eight points and Herschel Walker ends up in a runoff Against Raphael Warnock. But if Walker wins, we're going to hear about Brian Kemp's political organization in Georgia. He's the new model for how Republicans can win elections in purple states. By the way, Georgia, not a purple state. And we're also going to hear that part of the reason why Herschel Walker won is that Donald Trump backed away. He didn't go down and do a rally for Herschel Walker. He just kind of left it alone so that Republican voters in Georgia could make the decision all for themselves. It wouldn't be Donald Trump dominating the narrative. But if Herschel Walker wins, who's going to dominate the narrative? Not Herschel Walker, who Donald Trump basically selected as a candidate himself and shepherded through the Republican primary down there. We're going to hear a return to the same narrative effort we heard after the midterms. Donald Trump is the problem. If Donald Trump goes away, Republicans can win. And also, look, the election system is just fine because a Republican won. And we will see if my prediction is correct. But if it is correct, it's not because I'm pulling off some sort of wizardry over here. It's just a result of fully understanding and then fully incorporating the understanding that the elections are stolen. They choose who wins and who loses on both sides. It's not R versus D it's regime or not regime. If the regime feels the greatest benefit for the regime is to allow the Republican to win, then the Republican will win. If the regime could win elections on its ideas, the election fraud and the manipulation and the unconstitutional changes in election law in states around the country because of the very deadly pandemic. None of that would be necessary, but they do it and they expose themselves to risk and distrust in the regime by doing it, which means they must need to do it. So where does the conservative incorporated narrative fit into all of this well let's take a bit of a long view here let's examine the last two plus years in terms of elections we had the election steal up and down the ballot on november 3rd 2020 everybody focused on the fact that joe biden stole the election from donald trump but elections were stolen up and down the ballot conservative incorporated ignored all of this The vast majority of Republican politicians at the federal level and Republican representatives around the country, right down to the local level, they all ignored election fraud. They tried to block any investigation into election fraud. You even had people like Robin Voss, the Speaker of the House in Wisconsin, admitting that there was widespread election fraud, but there was just nothing that could be done about it. And the media covered for it. Fox News stopped talking about election fraud completely. Virtually no one on that network has talked about it at all in the last two years. Tucker kind of nudges up next to it every now and then. But that's the extent of it because Dominion sued Fox. So now they can't talk about it. Oh, it's all a legal thing. Conservative media wasn't on the ground in Maricopa County following the forensic audit day to day. In normal circumstances, you would expect the biggest media organizations in the country to be right there on the ground talking about what's happening, the latest developments each day. Because what could be more important than finding out whether or not our elections are secure? But instead, they ignored it completely. Then we get the Yunkin election. We're told that it's all about this cultural movement. People getting sick of the woke culture and that aspect of the Democratic Party. They just want a nice, normal, middle-of-the-road guy like Glenn Youngkin. Republicans came out. The system worked just fine. Now we have Youngkin. Let's move on. And a lot of people did move on. They moved on completely. And then 2,000 Mules comes out like six months ago or something. And people can see an obvious System of election manipulation right in front of their eyes, all of it trackable, much of it on video, and we are told that ballot harvesting is the problem. Look at that ballot harvesting. That's how they steal elections. But ballot harvesting isn't the problem. It is just a problem. And there are some lawsuits here and there about it. There are places where the mail-in balloting was ruled unconstitutional. The Mark Zuckerberg drop boxes were ruled unconstitutional. But by and large, most states just kept all of that in place and looked the other way. And then we have the midterms. And the big narrative after the midterms was Republicans failed. It was all Donald Trump's fault. And the solution is we need to get better than the Democrats at ballot harvesting. And we'll see if I'm right, but we might be hearing next week about how in just four weeks, the Republicans were able to get this great ballot harvesting operation off the ground due to the incredible management of Brian Kemp and his organization in Georgia. And if they're headed in that direction, if that's what they plan to do, then we might see prior to this election some negative stories about Raphael Warnock and his spotty personal history. And we might see some big article in like Politico or Fox News about how powerful Brian Kemp's political organization in Georgia really is. We're going to need some seating so that the narrative after the fact will make sense. They want you to believe what they're about to say later. You're going to get the ideas in your head, then you'll see it play out in real life. And then afterward, they're going to cap off that narrative by saying, hey, this is what we've been talking about. Remember last week when we told you for the first time ever how powerful Brian Kemp's political organization is in Georgia? Well, we were exactly right. And look at how it paid off. We didn't have any of this ballot harvesting stuff a month ago. When Republicans lost and it was all Donald Trump's fault. But in just four weeks, we have fixed everything. And now Herschel Walker has won due to Brian Kemp's political power and the power of the GOP establishment. And the win was made possible because Donald Trump stayed out of it completely. Everything is just fine. The elections are safe and secure. Look at this. You got the red team back in the house, even if it's just by a very tiny margin in a massive swing election. And, you know, we stayed even in the Senate, but it was a tough Senate map. You know, it was the maps problem. We just didn't have the right candidates to defeat the map. Oh, you know, maps, maps are so good at elections, but this really isn't a hard concept. If you had a system in place allowing you to cheat whenever you wanted to cheat, whether it's a a card game or something athletic, whatever it is, if you have the ability to cheat and you don't want to get caught, what would you do? Well, you would let the other side win sometimes so that you could then say, well, if I was cheating, how did you win all of these times? And you did win at least a few times, which means I'm not cheating. If I was cheating, I would have just won all of the times. But again, that's a non sequitur. That proves absolutely nothing. The fact that one side occasionally wins doesn't mean that cheating isn't present. We already know that the cheating is present. We already know that the cheating is pervasive. We don't have to pretend it only happens sometimes and that the cheating only benefits Democrats. The cheating benefits the regime. It doesn't matter if there's a little D or a little R next to the name. This is from today, an American thinker by a guy named Jay Valentine. Here's how they did it. Real-time election fraud. Database latency, a geeky term, but that's how they did it. A policeman pulls over a speeder. The police computer reports that three hours ago, a similar vehicle and person held up a liquor store, so the police are on alert. No database latency. County election managers changed the zip code of 31,000 voters on September 3rd. Ballots go out that week. Those 31,000 are undeliverable. Someone collects those valid ballots. On September 15th, those addresses are quietly changed back. National Change of Address Database will not pick up those address changes. They didn't happen because there is no history. The 31,000 citizens were getting their mail just fine, except for ballots. Ballot addresses were driven by the county mail-in ballot database, the one that was changed, then changed back. Many states send ballots to everyone. The recipient is none the wiser that they never received a mail-in ballot. They may vote in person. Oops, you already voted. Ever heard that? Welcome to Database Latency. Our bad guy pals know they can change voter rolls, take an action, then change them back. Who would know? A thousand voters are changed from inactive, voted, then changed back, and how would you ever know? With lots of complex footwork, you could eventually tell from their voter history file, months after the election. What are you going to do about it? Reverse the election? The new and current ballot gathering strategy mandated by the almost universal mail-in ballots adds pretty cool database games, exploiting database latency. Database latency, as you likely gathered, is when current reality lags the underlying record. We all experience it in our electronics-driven society. The ballot gathering scammers know about latency. It's their ground game to Republicans. Election engineering is civics to Democrats. It's business and they are great at it. They know the Republicans have hundreds of diligent election sleuths working in basements and dining room tables, checking voter rolls for the dead and the fakes. They know those people rely on NCOA, which is national change of address and Melissa and other highly latent services at their baseline. If someone moved, it shows up in NCOA two months later. A real voter moved. They want to keep getting their St. Jude's donation cards. They fill in their NCOA form to get mail forwarded to their new address. Our fraud detectives find this person and maybe someone voted for them. Cross out one phantom. Our bad guys are happy to give up a few retail level ballots to hide the wholesale level ballot gathering apparatus. They count on it. Here's the fraud equation taking place across the country. Count the in-person votes on election day. Count the early in-person votes. Shut down the system. Atlanta water leak. Maricopa County everything. Bring in undeliverable ballots gathered when you changed voters' names, addresses, or zip codes, then change them back. Determine the votes you need to win press the win button. Wait for Republicans to file a lawsuit months later. And he's obviously being euphemistic there when he says press the win button. But once you know what it takes to win the elections you want to win and you have the ballots necessary to create that win, all you need to do is insert those ballots that you've had under your control into the process. Floating ballots are the lifeblood Democrats need to win and win they do. And it's important to note here that this author seems to be missing the point I was making earlier about the Democrat versus Republican paradigm. That paradigm is dead and it doesn't make sense in this conversation. I think that this author is doing a fine job about everything, but that his thinking along those lines needs to be updated. Ballot gatherers know Republicans use dumb technology, relational databases, SQL, NCOA, Melissa, and non-real-time, highly latent systems. Bad guys are happy to watch Republicans waste time finding ones and twos while the real action takes place by the thousands, invisible to these batch, latency-prone systems. The RNC helps with its antiquated big data system equally oblivious to anything that happens within a month. Want to run for office? It's uglier. A latency-prone database like the RNC's, to pick one, tells you how your voter was prone to vote over the last 10 election cycles. She leans Republican. Unfortunately, it does not tell you that while she leaned Republican for years, she donated this week to Greenpeace, and is enraged at the dollar store being built across her street. Real-time means something. What is going on here now, today? Your Democrat opponent knows that. She is real-time. You aren't. You are RNC. You, dear candidate, are using the RNC latency database to get out the vote for your opponent because you are latent. We explain this at wwwomega and that's the number four, omega4america.com. Let's take a short walk into the future of how we fight ballot gathering with technology. Just a fun little peek. Again, the problem here is accepting that the system itself is legal and can produce accurate results. The only problem is the ballot harvesting, ballot gathering system. We know an election commission is going to do anything possible to make the Democrat win. Wisconsin Election Commission, Arizona's Maricopa County, seven states in 2016, for instance. Rather than wasting time on batch NCOA, National Change of Address, we get a daily copy of the election roll. That's expensive. The list in Wisconsin is $12,000. But did you know your Democrat friends bought it 28 times before the 2016 election? What is a governorship worth? How much does a contested Senate seat cost? Maybe $50 million? What is a presidential campaign worth? Why would anyone spend $50 million on a Senate seat and let the other side own the election rolls? That is a question Ronna McDaniel may be asked by Mike Lindell. We take that election roll with perhaps 15 million voters, Florida, for instance, or Texas. Compare every voter against every other voter and address down to the cell level and see any differences every day. What do we find? In a real-life example this month, we found a county that changed 31,500 zip codes, yet the voter remained at the same address. Curious? That means the voter did not change their address, continued to receive all their mail except one item, a ballot sent from a voter commission. Our teams in Wisconsin and Florida are discovering this scam by the truckload. Do not email me that. It is not real. And NCOA and Melissa They are totally blind to this because the addresses are changed back. And that's interesting. Do you hear that? It even happened in Florida. I was told Florida fixed all their election problems, and that's what allowed Ron DeSantis to have his huge win that showed him to be the most powerful Republican in all the land and ready to take over. Get rid of Donald Trump. We've got this guy who fixed Florida elections for everyone. The fractal team spent the last 20 months with guidance from Mike Lindell, encouragement from the great sheriff David Clark, and over a dozen election integrity teams advancing voter integrity analysis from the ancient batch latent to the modern current real time. We learned the core strategy to fight ballot gathering fraud in real time analysis of voter rolls and cast ballots. It is also real time analysis of ballot collection points like large apartment complexes and dorms where ballots gather because there is not an apartment number. The question now is whether Republicans want to start leading with technology or continue to spend millions on big data, data driven batch buzzwords. We are about to find out. And so I think that that is a very good and valuable analysis and shed some light on what i was discussing earlier there actually is a system here to produce all of these excess ballots they need to create winners when they need to create winners and again it's crucial to remember that this is only one of the many manipulations it's worth noting that this is why they ultimately want to make the entire system only machine based they will probably attempt over the next few years, if things keep heading in this direction, which, by the way, I don't think they will, to implement some sort of blockchain voting. They want to implement their central bank digital currency, and you'll just have that on your app. And eventually they'll say, well, if you trust it with your money, why wouldn't you trust it with your vote? And delusional normies who are still very much asleep will think, yeah, I do trust this whole system. Give me more of it. Make my life easier. Yes, I'm totally happy to stand in a two-hour line for the new iPhone, but I don't need to go vote in person. Elections don't matter. The important thing about politics is being able to put up hashtags and remind everyone that we care very, very deeply about black lives. They really matter. And I think the article does a great job of presenting what the problem is, but the solution here. Seems to be just better technology, better data, better tracking of this entire system. Now, that might make it more possible to contest stolen elections in a timely fashion, but it doesn't seem like it does anything to tear down this system. And the system is what needs tearing down. This system is not a fair system, regardless of anyone's ability to compete within it. The system is designed to to introduce fake ballots and fake votes into the system. And people really are beginning to realize all of this at this point. Rasmussen has some interesting polling out today, and you can find this on the Gateway Pundit today. This is from Rasmussen, though. Problems with the election in Arizona have Republicans furious and a majority of voters nationwide agree that the sacred right to vote is at risk. 71% of likely U.S. voters believe it's likely, including 40% who say it's very likely that problems with the election in Maricopa County affected the outcome of the Senate election in Arizona. 23% don't think the problems affected the Senate election, in which Democratic Senator Mark Kelly defeated GOP challenger Blake Masters by a 51 to 47 margin. The gubernatorial race in Arizona was even closer, with Democrat Katie Hobbs edging Republican Carrie Lake by a margin of less than 20,000 votes. After reports of Election Day problems with vote tabulation in Maricopa County, Lake called the election botched and declared, This isn't about Republicans or Democrats. This is about our sacred right to vote, a right that many voters were sadly deprived of on November 8th. 72% 72% of likely voters agree with Kerry Lake's statement, including 45% who strongly agree. 18% disagree, including 13% who strongly disagree, while another 10% are not sure. So somewhere between 13 and 18%, if this polling is accurate and Rasmussen does a fine job as far as polls go, but this likely still skews toward regime politics, toward the central narrative, toward Democrats and away from America First, MAGA, etc. But that sounds pretty clearly like only 13 to 18% of people think that the outcomes of their elections are being fairly decided. That is a massive and extraordinary revelation. This is a great step forward. This is progress. And it might not feel like it while we're getting terrible results from our elections. And we're hearing all these narratives about how it's our fault and how the system is just fine and how everything is about Donald Trump. But people are watching this now. Their eyes are on these problems. They're understanding that something is actually deeply wrong. And once they have really settled in with that idea, once they accept that election fraud is widespread They will begin to understand how election fraud happens and that it's not just someone shoving too many ballots into a drop box every now and then. It's actually a system that produces fraudulent results, a system designed to enable fraud itself, a system put in place with total disregard to the actual will of American voters. And once they get to that point, then they can understand that this isn't about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It's not about Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs or Mark Kelly and Blake Masters or any of these other awful candidates that we've been told win around the country. And you can add Brian Kemp of Georgia into that as well. These aren't elections, they're selections. The regime is choosing the winner. The regime created the system, and then the regime tells us why reality produced the result that everyone can see is a product of fraud. And I know we've been told to think that it's very sad that Americans have lost their faith, their trust in our election systems, but that's not very sad because our election systems designed To produce fraud, losing faith and trust in that system is the natural response from any person who is awake and aware and thinking and has the proper priorities. And hey, if free and fair elections are not on your list of priorities, well, good luck with that, Kami. That is the best way to make sure that your country is going to be fully communist in a very short period of time. From the same Rasmussen poll, how they describe it as a national bipartisan election integrity survey, 65% say Maricopa election problems affected the outcome of the election, and 69% say many voters were deprived of their sacred right to vote. This is now reaching critical mass, and we have another election that the nation's eyes will absolutely be on in just a few more days, six more days. Now, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen, but if the scenario plays out like I've laid it out in today's podcast, then the important takeaway is this system is so clearly rigged that we can now see every element and how they are producing these results and how they are confirming to the public that these results are somehow valid. We need to understand the thing as a whole so that we can counteract it as a whole so that we don't find ourselves being like the Charlie Kirk's and the conservative incorporated and GOP elite and establishment media influencers of the world and saying, we just need to beat them at their ballot harvesting game. No, we need to expose the entire system so that everyone understands it and people don't have to understand every last element of it. The understanding needs to be our elections are stolen. And they're stolen for a reason. And it's not just Republican and Democrat. This system is designed to produce fraud. The system is the problem. The system must be torn down and replaced with something more secure, like paper ballots voted in person with voter ID on one day that are hand counted and that everything is trackable and traceable. It's actually crazy to think at this point that within the last 10 years, we pretty much had that. I mean, I'm 44, so I've been voting for 26 years. And for the vast majority of that time, I walked in to a very small local precinct. I told them my name and address. They matched it. To their registration for the people expected to vote in that precinct, I signed a paper, they handed me my ballot, I marked my ballot with the little ink blotter, and then I fed it into a machine and they tore off the end of the ballot and let me keep that. And that little paper had the number that corresponded to the ballot I had just fed into the machine. Now, was that system being manipulated, too, in some way? I am absolutely certain that it was. But it was nothing like this. Now we are voting in a system designed to enable the theft of our elections, designed to allow the selection of winners. We need to understand all of it so that we can move away from it, so that we can know what to look out for when people are telling us that they're about to increase election integrity. Oh, we're going to do all these election integrity measures all around the country. Ron DeSantis is going to set up a state-controlled election integrity task force. Wow. What did that election integrity task force find recently? Well, a widespread ballot harvesting operation in Florida, but now ballot harvesting is just something that we accept. It's just part of the process. What we really need to do is get better. We don't need to prosecute the illegality. We don't need to wrestle with the fact that the system has already produced illegitimate winners who are now currently deciding policy for real citizens in this country illegally. We just need to get better at ballot harvesting. Georgia passed a voter ID measure. Did that fix anything? No, but they did make a big deal about it on the TV. They made it so Major League Baseball would move their all-star game out of Atlanta, move it to Colorado, where elections are the gold standard for the country. There isn't truly a single place in this country that has fixed their election since 2020. Maybe there's a county here or there that has done away with the use of machines, and maybe that was their only problem in these small rural counties in states like New Mexico or something. There are counties around the country that don't have severe problems with their elections, and good on them. I'm certainly not trying to besmirch people who really do take their jobs seriously and do their jobs with integrity, election workers, election officials, etc., but these problems are widespread, and the attempts that have been made around the country, the ones that we have heard about, to fix these problems have done virtually nothing. They've left the system almost entirely in place as it was, and whatever changes are made always come built in with the same loopholes that the regime then learns to exploit. So let's see how things unfold. Over the next few weeks, That 71, 72 percent, that might become 81, 82 percent, depending on what happens in Georgia, depending on what happens with some of these lawsuits. We need to get that number that high. Once it gets that high, once we reach some sort of critical mass where the public at large understands that these elections are stolen, that's when people continue to awaken and that's when we finally find the will to make the changes necessary to take this country back and restore election integrity. If we don't have the vote, we don't have anything. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network.